Hi, this is Keith Cutter with EMF Remedy, and you are listening to the Reversing Electromagnetic Poisoning podcast. This is episode two. We're going to talk today about beginning a discussion on the different species of non-native electromagnetic fields. We're going to speak in particular about magnetic fields. And at the end, I'll be making recommendations for meters that would be appropriate to use for the assessment of magnetic fields, particularly for people who are sensitive. So I I guess I want to begin this discussion with the broader concept of what is a toxin. We, We have so many toxins in the modern environment, it sometimes feels like it's difficult to keep track of all of them. And that's no less the case with EMF. In fact, a lot of people make the mistake of equating the entire issue of exposure to man-made electromagnetic fields. They reduce all of that down to only one type of radiation, only one type of toxin. And I think that's, um, that's silly um, at best and tragic at worst. The type or species that seems to get all of the attention is uh, RF or radio frequency radiation. Some people call it uh, microwave radiation. And it's true, that's a blight on the modern world. And it's certainly not good for anything living. And we will get around to talking about RF, but as somebody who knows that your issue is exposure to man-made radiation, I'm going to suggest that you might like to expand your search if you've only looked at RF in the past and that you consider other types of non-native, in other words, things that don't belong in this environment, things that um, mankind brought into existence and now is in the process of propagating throughout the environment, you might want to consider all the different species because according to many researchers, there is no magic portion of all of that that's harmful. It is all of it together that could be considered a toxin. Um, And all of it together that should be avoided if you're one who needs to take or wants to take a precautionary approach The precautionary approach would be that for something new that may involve harm, avoid it until or unless it's proven to be without harm. That's the most conservative approach, and certainly it applies here. And if you already know you've been damaged by EMF, you have a much greater appreciation. So let's go ahead and and dive in. So the, the top four, the big four, are magnetic fields, electric fields, dirty electricity, and RF, or radio frequency. Each has its own habitat, its own characteristics, and associated with that may have their own ways of being um, shielded, or, in general, um, reducing our exposure. They can have different techniques of measurement, and each of those four definitely has different instruments required to understand what levels of intensity you're being exposed to in any particular time and in any particular place. So I'll just go ahead and plant the seed right now. I have a strong 
opinion about all-in-one meters. Um, and for our purposes, they're useless. Um, they can provide somebody who's very new the opportunity to have something that flashes or moves or buzzes or beeps in the presence of strong electromagnetic fields of different species, but we need something much more. We need something with accuracy and with meters as with everything else, you definitely get what you pay for. Uh, there are some bargains to be had, and that's looking at the price performance. But even there, you're going to be paying more for a single meter appropriate for our purposes here with this podcast than you'd pay for one of the inexpensive all-in-one meters. And we'll get into talking about meters a little bit more at the end of this um, discussion. But we were talking about their own habitat and their own um, characteristics. We're going to focus today on uh, what are called alternating current magnetic fields. And I think everybody's familiar with the idea of magnetism. Perhaps all of us played with magnets as a children and as children and found it interesting how two magnets could have an attraction for one another or could have a, a repelling force between them and we could slide one magnet underneath a piece of paper and watch another magnet follow along or a piece of magnetic material and it's um, somehow enchanting to to look at that and to consider, you know, what exactly is a magnet, what is a magnetic field. But that's the one that most people are familiar with is that, you know, piece of magnetic material and, and what it can do in your hand. That's not at all what we're talking about. Um, and by the way, that is, uh, you know, there are naturally occurring magnetic substances in the earth. So that's what we would call a native species. And if you've ever used a compass for navigation, you know that the compass needle um, wants to point north, and that's because of the magnetic field, the native magnetic field of the Earth. And it is what we would call a static magnetic field. In other words... It's stationary. It doesn't oscillate. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't vary in one place. Now, the magnetic field in the Earth definitely varies from place to place, but within a given place, it doesn't oscillate. What we're talking about instead with an alternating current magnetic field is, is really contained within that name, alternating current. So we need to talk just a little bit about what is this thing that we've all grown up with. We've lived in homes that have electricity. We know what it is to plug in a vacuum cleaner or an electric toaster or to turn on electric light. But have we considered, you know, what it is that's running in those wires? So a decision was made over 100 years ago. There was a debate about what kind of electricity to provide to consumers. And the debate was between something called direct current. That is most like what we witness in nature. So there is a charge on the earth. There is a charge in the heavens. Those two charges are opposite. There is a, um, an electric gradient inside the human body. And we see the charge associated with that gradient at the bottom of the foot to be different than the charge at the top of the head. 
one being positive and one being negative. That's direct current. When we look at our heart and we can see on a cardiac monitor, for example, this endless cycling of polarization and depolarization, um, that too is direct current. So everything, I would make the argument that everything in nature is direct current. And that was one of the choices for the power grid that we built out in the United States and, of course, around the world. The other candidate was something called alternating current. And it is fundamentally different to the kind of electricity that we find in nature. It is not direct current. At one instant with direct current, you have a positive, say a positive terminal on a battery, and a negative terminal. And at the next instant in time, the positive terminal on the battery is still the positive terminal on the battery. And the negative terminal is still the negative. In other words, it doesn't vary, it doesn't oscillate, it stays the same. Alternating current is much different than that. In the United States, our alternating current changes polarity 60 times in each second. So if we were to measure what's coming out of the receptacle in the wall of the average home, you would find at one instant in time, one prong of your plug would be positive. The other prong of the plug that goes into the wall would be negative. And in the next instant of time, in the next 60th of a second in our case, that would reverse. What was positive becomes negative, and what was negative becomes positive. And back and forth and back and forth, 60 times each and every second. So it's a very unnatural type of, a, of an exposure, as I've mentioned, and unfortunately for all of us, what was chosen was alternating current. And we can argue whether they had good reason for making that decision, but I'll just say the reason that they made the decision to go with alternating current instead of direct current had to do with the ease with which the electricity could be commercialized. It's much easier to commercialize an alternating current product. Unfortunately, no consideration was given to the, the human factor. So a magnetic field, therefore, with alternating current is north in one instant and south in the next instant and north, and then south. In the United States, 60 times a second, that reverses. So not only is our electricity very unnatural, it's alternating current rather than direct current, the magnetic fields associated with the electrical infrastructure in our country is very different from what we find, for example, on the surface of the Earth, where the North Pole is north and the South Pole is south, and there's no oscillation. So I've mentioned now both the electrical infrastructure and magnetic fields. I'm just going to make a comment here and we'll move on from it, but the reason that we have to consider the magnetic fields and the electric fields apart from one another has to do with the frequency. 
60 cycles per second is in the range of what we would call ELF, extremely low frequency. And then it has to do with the wavelength of the what the wavelength associated with that frequency. And the wavelength is extremely long the lower the frequency. So we're talking about thousands of miles. And the electric fields and the magnetic fields don't become coherent, don't begin to coincide with one another until we get to the far field, which is greater than one wavelength away, in this case, thousands of miles. So within a house or a town or, you know, a neighborhood, certainly we don't have thousands of miles to deal with. So we have to, we have to look at the magnetic and the electric field separately. So I also want to make a distinction here between the availability of electricity and the use of electricity. And this is really key to understanding the difference between electric fields and magnetic fields. So bear with me if you would. Now, if we can imagine a house with nothing plugged in and nothing turned on, in other words, you're not using any electricity, any appliance, zero within that house you're going to have a magnetic field of zero, or more precisely, whatever the ambient levels are of magnetic fields in that environment. That will be your reading with an appropriate meter taken in that house. Because you are not using any electricity, you're not going to have an additional amount of alternating current magnetic field in the home. Another way, a more of an engineering way, I suppose, of stating that is magnetic field intensity is proportional to current. So let me explain that a little bit. Imagine that you were to plug in in that house we were just discussing that had nothing on, no electricity at all being used, imagine we were to plug in an electric toaster, but not yet depress the lever. What we would see is, as I said, the magnetic fields would be um, ambient, you know, it would be whatever it is outside the house. And when we depress the lever on that toaster, and I choose a toaster, by the way, because they, they draw a relatively large amount of electric current, not as large as some loads, but certainly more than a, a light bulb. At the moment we depress that lever, we're going to see the creation of a magnetic field in the vicinity of the toaster. So if you had a, a proper meter, you'd be able to depress that lever, you'd be able to see the instantaneous formation of a magnetic field. I would suggest um, you're going to need a magnetic uh, field meter. And when you get one, if you're able to withstand that kind of exposure that you do a little bit of experimenting in the vicinity of different electrical appliances so that you can see yourself how when electricity is being used, which is different than the electricity being available, you have the formation of a... Uh, a very strange and very unnatural uh, oscillating type of a magnetic field. So what does this mean for those of us who are sensitive, those of us who know 
that the problems in their life uh, have been in some part caused by exposure to man-made radiation. Well, it means that you would want to maintain a distance from the point of consumption, the point of use of major appliances if you would like to avoid exposure to magnetic fields. However, that's not the end of it because every point along the line between this toaster we've been discussing and your main electric panel, every point along the line where the wiring inside your walls from that main electric panel to the toaster, that wire that supplies the toaster with the energy will have an increase in magnetic field along the length of that wire. So you have a larger field often in the vicinity of the appliance, and then you also have an increased field along the path of travel of the electricity. So what are the implications of this? Well, we've talked about one, which is if you're a sensitive person, you want to avoid being in that vicinity. You also want to avoid, where possible, uh, being too close to that line of travel where the wiring is. And there are implications beyond that because all of us have to go out into the environment at some point and that phenomenon between the toaster and the main electric panel, it doesn't stop there. So the magnetic field that's created by the use of the electricity of that little toaster in the little home, imagine that in a small city, every house was turned, all appliances were turned off. There was no power being drawn whatsoever in any of those houses. We would see the ambient levels of magnetic field in the environment, what you could measure uh, outside of your home, would drop to a much lower level. And if everyone in every one of those houses depressed the lever for that toaster, you would see a dramatic increase in the ambient levels of magnetic fields. You would also see along the line of travel, which is to say the electric wires, the overhead wires that you can see, and unfortunately with magnetic fields, even the wires that are buried below the earth will still register this unnatural magnetic field. There's a... Uh, a misunderstanding with regard to magnetic fields, and that is that the only place in the environment you need to worry about magnetic fields is with regard to high-tension lines. And we haven't introduced that term yet, but high-tension lines are the uh, very tall towers that are used to transmit electrical energy from the point of generation to the substation. And certainly those are something that we're going to need to contend with in our quest to lead a life that's um, free as much as possible of the influences of non-native electromagnetic radiation. But we'll deal with that more in the area of electric fields. Right now we're talking about magnetic fields. So certainly when that electricity is being consumed, then in the vicinity of the wires between those towers, you'll see a, an increase in the magnetic field. However, your ordinary distribution line, and that's a different term, we haven't introduced that yet, a distribution line is the the name for the various types of lines from the substations to the point of consumption, to 
the industry and to the uh, residential homes. The magnetic fields in these distribution lines, and I'm talking about the ones that you may have on the very street where you live, those magnetic fields can be every bit as onerous as the magnetic fields around those high tension lines for a couple of reasons. One is that it's proportional, the intensity is proportional to the current, and the lower the voltage, the higher the current for a given output. And the other reason is proximity. So um, the electric power lines in your vicinity will have a bearing on the magnetic fields. And the, the key for our purposes, being sensitive people, is you'll want to avoid in the places that you live being near electric power lines. For this instance, to reduce your exposure to magnetic fields, but a hint of what's to follow for electric fields as well. So we've, we've talked about, without using this term, distance from source. But distance from source is going to be key to our um, happiness as people who are sensitive to these types of toxins. Because as we increase our distance from the toaster in this example and once you have an appropriate meter you'll be able to see this and it's rather dramatic how quickly a very large field drops off in a very short distance and i think everyone who is sensitive needs to see that because well for two reasons one so that they can identify the threats in their environment, but two, so that they can take comfort in the fact that sometimes a little distance is all that's needed to get levels to a reasonable level. Now, what is a reasonable level? Well, I have an opinion about that. My opinion is a reasonable level is zero. <laughs> I don't think that any exposure whatsoever to any living thing for non-native EMF has ever been proven to be safe. I think experiments have been conducted to try to come up with this result or that result, you know, whether or not an organism exhibits this um, particular type of pathology under these circumstances. But um, in my opinion, that's that's all been a game and Nobody's ever shown that there is a safe level of exposure whatsoever. So I'll just mention that in passing, and I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to that. You may hold a different opinion about um, that there may be safe levels of exposure, but um, let, let's discuss that more in time. So distance from source, that can be key. Stay away from the environmental things. You don't want to live anywhere near an electrical substation if you are trying to avoid magnetic fields. You don't want to be anywhere near high-tension power lines, and you don't want to be near electrical distribution lines. And by the way, that magnetic field on those lines will increase and decrease according to how much electricity is being used. So during the day, uh, in a cold climate where people are heating with electricity, you're going to see a different usage pattern at different times of the day. It'll be much higher other parts of the day, maybe in the evening it might be lower. And in the summer, in a hot, clim hot climate, uh, you might see an increase in usage uh, according to the use of air conditioning and whatnot. So uh, my message would be you want to maintain as much di distance as possible from electrical lines. And there are lines above the ground, of course, we're all familiar with, but there are also lines below the ground once you have an electric field meter and you do a little bit of walking around in a subdivision that has uh, the electric wires running below the ground. It looks very nice. It looks very clean, but 
you will know it instantly when you walk over a um, a buried electric line. Uh, you'll see an increase in uh, magnetic field. Not so much, by the way, in uh, electric field, but magnetic field for certain. Okay, so, and and this topic is is obviously it's a very deep topic, and so are all the other three that we're going to to mention. Don't feel like you need to understand every little thing that we've talked about today. Um, that understanding will come in time if you just carry with you the understanding that magnetic fields are different than electric fields. They're not the same animals, and magnetic fields are generally localized around the appliance that consumes them, as well as the line of travel from that appliance, as well as the aggregation of everybody's appliances on the power lines. And those are the key concepts to keep in mind. Now, there's one other thing, and it, it, um, it really is a very considerable issue. And it's one of the things that concerns me about people gravitating towards RF is the only boogeyman. Um, there are a lot of high, there's a lot of high quality research that's been done over a long period of time showing health effects associated with magnetic fields. Um, the ones that weigh very heavily on my heart are childhood leukemia um, at a very young age and a loss of pregnancy. So, um, you know, miscarriages, and, and there's more. But um, magnetic fields are not something to be trifled with, I don't think, for anyone. But certainly for those of us who are sensitive, this is one of the things that we want to um, keep an eye on. So the, the wild card here, the, the reason I bring up this fact again about all the focus being on RF, not enough being on magnetic fields, is because even with what I've told you so far, even with an understanding that, well, I'm at most risk of having a magnetic field near the point of consumption and along the point of travel of the electricity from consumption to generation, even with that you might miss something huge in the home in which you live. And this has to do with wiring errors. So I'm not here criticizing any electrician. I'm not here criticizing any electrical inspector. I'm not here criticizing the National Electric Code. I'm not criticizing any of those things, but... Um, people are people and people can make mistakes and they do make mistakes uh, sometimes in wiring a home. And it can be such a simple, simple thing. I don't know how much familiarity you have with wiring a home, but, um, you know, there are wires inside of your walls and inside of the outlets and the wires have typically different colors. There'll be maybe one with a copper color. It may be even be a bare wire um, or it might be green and there may then be a black and a white wire, for example. And typically in a lot of boxes in which these wires occur, one just joins together all of the white wires because for a given branch circuit, and that's a specific term, um, the right thing to do is often to join those white wires together. However, if you are, if you have a box in which two circuits travel through, two different branch circuits, the right thing to do uh, is generally not to join those white wires together. So imagine a whole house full of boxes and the wiring is left 
open for the review of the inspector, and the electrician has done an excellent job at his work, but he's, he's made an error somewhere in that house of perhaps joining a couple of white wires together that should not have been joined together. And what that does is it creates what's called an alternate path to ground or an alternate path or net current. And all of these are specific terms we don't need to get into right now, but they will result in an sometimes enormous magnetic field throughout a huge region of the house having um, little to do with how much electricity is actually being consumed. So that analogy that we talked about before where there's a toaster in the kitchen, we press the lever, we trace the magnetic field all the way back along the wire that feeds that toaster back to the main electric panel, that goes out the window. Um, you may have, when that toaster, if that's the branch circuit that's affected by a wiring error, you may have a huge magnetic field throughout the house, which perhaps wouldn't be too much of a concern from an exposure standpoint with the toaster. However, it creates a fire danger, which is why the National Electric Code prohibits um, these types of wiring errors. But I'm, I'm just saying, and I'm not blaming anybody. Certainly everybody can make a mistake. I'm just saying that they're easy to overlook. That's all. That's all I'm saying. And when a house is first constructed, there is no requirement for somebody to go through with a magnetic field um, meter and to make an attempt to ascertain whether there may have been a wiring error resulting in the creation of a, an unnaturally high magnetic field. Now I've outlined just the barest minimum and I'm not giving any advice for wiring and what you should do with your wiring and whether white wires should always be connected or never or sometimes. I'm not saying any of that here. Um, go with a qualified electrician. Go with the National Electric Code. I'm only speaking to the existence of wiring errors and the fact that a wiring error can go missed for days, weeks, or even generations. And yet, if we accept the premise that there are expo that there are or can be issues, physiological issues with the exposure to um, these non-native magnetic fields, then it's something we want to uncover, certainly as sensitive people. So this reason above all others is the reason a sensitive person, in my opinion, needs to have a good magnetic field meter and be trained in how to precipitate uh, that magnetic field in a house so that they can quickly determine if they're evaluating a rental, if they're um, moving into a new place, if they're getting a room in somebody's house. Um, you'll have that ability to, to make this kind of a determination. Now, the the great news about wiring errors, and there are other errors, by the way. It's not just, you know, that you might be joining a couple of white wires together somewhere. Uh, often, unfortunately, when <clears throat> uh, what's called a sub-panel or a second electrical panel, other than the main electric panel, will be put into a residence, and there the error can be so simple. There's often a screw a particular screw in that sub-panel. And whether that screw is screwed in or whether that screw is not all the way screwed in may create an additional path to ground and will um, have the capacity to introduce a, a huge 
magnetic field into the home. So there, there are other wiring errors. And, you know, I want to be fair. I don't want to blame electricians necessarily um, because homeowners put in new electric circuits and they don't sometimes have the level of awareness about these issues. They may join uh, white wires together when they don't belong uh, joined together. Uh, they may put in, in the course of a remodel in states and municipalities where it's allowed, they may put in a, um, a sub-panel and make a mistake of you know, how that, that panel is set up. The point is you, you need to be aware of how to precipitate and um, if there are any there and then how to measure and then having the right equipment. So lastly here, before we talk about meters, is we made some tragic missteps in the way that we have implemented uh, the power grid in North America, largely. Um, and there are a few exceptions here and there, but largely we made a grievous error um, that has an impact on ambient magnetic fields in the environment. Uh, this misstep saves, arguably saves, the electric utilities a few cents here and there on their costs um, or may have other benefits related to the provision of electric power, but the result is that some of the current of the electricity returns from the point of use to the point of generation or the point of distribution, in other words, where the power is created or uh, a substation, you know, where it's, where it's distributed. That occurs through, in part, through the ground. And what a, what a terrible mistake, in my opinion. This, this is tragic for probably all life. Um, difficult to establish a control for, to really study. And it's the usual story of there's no money to fund honest research anyway. But what you'll find is um, even if you're away from your house, away from a subdivision, you're on a vacant lot, you're on a farmer's field, okay, in the midst of an urban area, and you know there's no uh, transmission wires around and there's no structure in that field that uses electricity, yet if you have a meter, uh, a good meter, you'll be able to see oftentimes that there is quite a considerable magnetic field just ambient, just in the earth. And it is caused by this grievous error in the way that we've implemented um, grievous error, in my opinion, in the way we've implemented the electric grid. So that is something that can't be remediated. If you have high magnetic fields in your area, it's not as though you can step away from the toaster. It's not as though you can create a little bit of distance because... You know, you walk 10 paces this way and you measure and you walk 10 paces the other way and you measure and you're getting the same measurement or um, nearly the same measurement. And you walk 50 paces one way and 50 the other and you get the same measurement or relatively the same measurement. So you, you can't get away from the earth itself upon which you're standing. And this gets into the whole topic of... and. Um, the reason people come and ask for my help in choosing land in a place where they can build an uh, EMF sanctuary. 
um, has to do with, with this and other issues that make a piece of ground either suitable or not suitable. But for our purposes here today, you want to be able to see in a particular area what the ambient levels are. And you'll know with a little bit of experience how little space it takes to get away from the magnetic field of a power line. And it's important to, to, to build that awareness over time of, yeah, I have, a, I have a pretty good idea of how far the magnetic field extends from a substation. I have a pretty good idea how far it extends from power lines. Um, I have a pretty good idea how far it extends from that toaster or a pump or a vacuum or whatever. Once you have that knowledge, and it may, you may have no desire to, to learn these types of things, but it will give you comfort because you won't be afraid of the wrong things. You'll be able to rest in the fact that ah, I've made an assessment and the place where I am is safe. That's a theme we're going to come back to. The big problem with magnetic fields is, I've already mentioned, in the Earth we can't create distance um, as a way of dealing with it within the home. And shielding, and I'll just put this out there, I think this is the first time I've mentioned this, shielding is the last thing that we should consider with regard to reducing the intensity of exposure to man-made radiation. It is the last thing that we should consider. And this is one of the things that really um, really bothers me is there are a lot of products being sold. There are a lot of people, even people that I, that I respect in their, their knowledge and their wisdom in other areas, that jump to this issue of shielding and... I want to make two brief points and we're going to move on. One is it's not a panacea. Not everything can be shielded. And the case in point here is magnetic fields. They maybe at a point source can be coaxed into moving in a bit of a smaller radius than they would have. And there's a lot of qualifiers there for a reason. But on a global area, you know, like trying to, to shield from uh, the magnetic field in the earth, there, there's no practical way to achieve that in the context of a residential home. And certainly if you have a power line right outside your window and magnetic fields to contend with from that power line, there is no way to shield, uh, no practical way to shield from that um, within the context of a residential home. And then the other thing, just very briefly, and then we'll move on, is that um, shielding can be absolutely the worst thing to do in some circumstances, depending on how it's implemented. So um, we'll talk about that later, but uh, people are running out and they're buying this shielding paint, even at the advice of people who, frankly, otherwise, I have a lot of respect for what they say in different areas, but they're they're misinformed at best um, because you can end up creating. It, it can be an important part of the solution, but you can end up creating more problems. We'll address that in more detail when we get to electric fields and radio frequency fields. Now, um, finally, and we'll wrap up today, I want to talk about meters and what is appropriate in this area. I've already given you my opinion that the all-in-one meters are useless for the needs of somebody who's sensitive or somebody who's doing serious work in, in this area. They, they can perform a function for people that are um, not sensitive, don't have a need to decrease their exposure to man-made radiation. But, um, you know, it sort of flashes or 
you know, the meter moves or whatever, sometimes when they get near something and then they begin to develop an awareness that, oh, there are unseen forces. And I think that's really, from my perspective, the only benefit of a, of a cheap meter. So the, the type of meter that I'm going to recommend for my clients is a three axis AC magnetic field meter. And the three axis part is uh, quite important. I don't want to get into, into that here too much, except to say if you were to purchase one that's even a very good quality single meter access, you would need to perform not one but three measurements at every point in time and space. And then you would have to manually use a, magnet, a mathematical formula to take all three of those measurements into account and arrive at what is the um, three-dimensional magnetic exposure in that place. So I don't recommend single-axis uh, meters. I recommend triple-axis meters only. And you want to get a good one and you get what you pay for. The meter that I would recommend um, as an entry level for someone doing serious work or somebody who is sensitive, I like the one that one of my mentors recommended to me um, years ago when I was starting. And I have since upgraded to a professional level meter that's much more sensitive. And, you know, I use that when I'm with clients. But I still find that the initial one that I purchased under one of my mentor's advice is a good reasonable product for, um, for beginning. So the, the name of the product is the Alpha Labs. Alpha, A-L-P-H-A, Labs, Incorporated. And the model number is UHS-2, Uniform Hotel Sierra 2, UHS-2. Um, it's been on the market for quite a while. There's not a lot of technology changes with regard to uh, magnetic field meters. They have somehow achieved... a high level of quality and reliability um, and accuracy in a design that's a relatively low price given its performance. Um, so that's what I would recommend for um, people who don't intend to make a profession of this um, or people who have budgetary constraints. The other meter that the only other meter that I have familiarity with um, and I use day-to-day -day in my work as an EMF consultant, it is a much higher quality. It is much more capable. It has other features. It can be used for electric fields as well as magnetic fields. And it has somewhat of a spectrum analyzer built in, not truly a spectrum analyzer, but it can give you an idea of what frequency of the radiation is producing the, the primary or the dominant uh, signal in the intensity reading. So that's useful for me in my work. Um, it's also a data recorder. So as you can imagine, it's quite a bit more expensive than the, the other one I mentioned. Those are the, the only two really that I have familiarity with and feel comfortable saying that, yes, I've... And by the way, I, I bought both of those with my own money and this is not sponsored in any way. But um, anyway, both of those I've I found good results with. Um, as far as where you can purchase these, I've always bought my meters from a place in, in Canada that I like doing business with. They're the they're the regional supplier for the professional level meters and They've um, they've got an eye for quality, and they don't tend to carry 
um, junk, although I do know notice that they've got at least one all-in-one meter up there, uh, probably to satisfy the people who are demanding such a thing. But anyway, I like uh, safe living technologies. Um, it's where I purchase my gear. I am an affiliate with Safe Living Technologies, um, and that's only been recent that I have become an affiliate in the last year. But that means I can give you a discount code if it's helpful to you. If you use that code when you're checking out, should you choose to do business with Safe Living, then you'll receive a 5% additional discount on top of whatever sale or promotion they may be running um, from using that uh, code. And of course, I get a small commission as well from Safe Living for bringing them a new customer. So in the spirit of true, uh, full disclosure, I'll mention that. The UHS-2 is available other places. Um, so you you look around if you like to see whether you might be able to find that someplace else. Safe Living, when I checked their website this morning, has it available for $390. And the NFA 1000, and that's a gigahertz solutions meter, uh, what I would consider to be a top-of-the-line magnetic field meter and also does other stuff I mentioned their current price for that this morning was $1,925. And the discount code that you can give them is REMEDY5. That's R-E-M-E-D-Y-5. So you can give them that number. You'll get an additional 5% discount. I'll get a little something which helps in buying the groceries. But wherever you decide to buy your meters, I think you'd be well served with um, either of those. I've had good experience with them. As far as getting in touch with safe living technology, if you're as sick as I once was, you'll want nothing to do with a computer. So let me give you the telephone number, and hopefully by now you are on a wired phone and not a wireless phone, not a cell phone, but if it's of use, their phone number is 888-814-2425. Again, it's Safe Living Technology, 888-814-2425. And if you are able to access a computer and you prefer to do it that way, uh, their website is Safe Living Technologies. Dot com. So I hope that's helpful. And wrapping up today, we, we began looking at what are the species of these various toxins that we want to get into. And I hope that this discussion on magnetic fields and the importance, particularly for sensitive people, um, but really for every living thing, of being able to discern whether and when you're being exposed to magnetic fields and then using that to inform your, your purchase decisions or rental decisions in the future where you or the, your loved ones are going to begin spending time. I hope the discussion was useful with regard to um, when and where these things are created. And I know it's a lot to absorb at one time, but if you can just keep in mind that the fields are very unnatural, nothing in nature oscillates between one state and another, positive and negative, back and forth, like our power grid. It is extremely unnatural. And magnetic fields have been correlated with um, a lot of bad things. And so let's see if we can avoid them. Keep that in mind. Keep in mind that um, it's proportional to the distance from the use or the distribution. And also uh, that some appliances use more electricity and therefore generate more of a magnetic field. And please, please keep in mind, there's something called wiring errors. 
They can be introduced by well-meaning homeowners or uh, weekend warriors. They can be introduced, um, you know, through even skilled uh, electricians. You know, they they can make a mistake in what they're doing and it may not be caught by the inspector. And you need to be aware. You need to be able to um, discern whether these things have occurred. So I hope that's helpful and with the next podcast, we're going to be talking about electric fields. So I'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks very much.